0: We are continuing this week, week four, of this series called Eight Keys to a Blessed Life, and this week we're looking at why you need to stay hungry. Anybody hungry today? Why do we need to stay hungry? We begin each week with reading uh, the Beatitudes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. If you have your Bibles, open it there. If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles up front here you can grab. If you, if you don't have a Bible that's in an easy-to-read language, then take one of these home with you. It's yours. It's a gift from us. Uh, the verses should also be on the screen as well, but nothing substitutes like reading it in your Bible or on your iPad or iPhone or, you know, some of you, some of you guys. So I'm going to read Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will seek God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I would ask, have have you ever gone to the refrigerator in the middle of the night, Somebody's laughing already. Have you gone to the refrigerator in the middle of the night? You wake up hungry. You head down to the kitchen. You open the door, and then you just kind of stand there and look. You look, and you look, and you look, and nothing nothing in there looks appealing or appetizing or satisfying. So you just stand there and you look. It's the middle of the night. You know you're hungry. But you don't know what you're really hungry for. Now I bet that some of you could admit to that. Some of you have done that. Maybe last night even. Nobody likes to be physically hungry. But Jesus says that having spiritual hunger is is a good thing. It's good for us. In fact, spiritual hunger is one of the eight keys to being blessed by God. So we looked at the Beatitudes, chapter 5 of Matthew, those first ten verses, and we come to the one in Matthew 6 that says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And that's what we're looking at today. How to satisfy your spiritual hunger. How to maintain an appetite for God. So let's pray. Father, I just thank you once again for calling us here on on a Sunday morning. A day that you have ordained for us to come together corporately and worship you. A day that you've brought us from all different places, all different backgrounds. Some of us who are Christ followers, some of us who don't have a clue what that means. All together today. Some of you coming because mom asked you to come today and it's the thing we have to do today on Mother's Day. Whatever the reason. God, we just thank you that they are here. Come, Holy Spirit, fill this place. May we feel your presence here among us, working and moving and and doing what you do. Have your way here today. And when we're through with this service, may it be pleasing in your sight. Now let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. 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 That word means fully satisfied. To live a satisfied life, they're going to have a fulfilled life. But you've got to hunger and thirst for the right thing in order to live that fulfilled life. And Jesus says you've got to hung, hunger and thirst for righteousness, not for pizza and beer. So what is righteousness? God says that it's one of the eight keys to living this blessed life in this passage that we called Beatitudes. But how do I hunger... And how do I thirst for righteousness? How do I do that if I don't even know what righteousness is? So I think a good starting point for us today is to talk about what righteousness is. The Bible uses the word righteousness, I don't know how many times, I didn't didn't look that up, how many times it's used in the Bible, but a lot of times. But we could sum it up in kind of a little two-sentence summary. Number one, righteousness is about a relationship. And number two, righteousness is about a lifestyle. And I probably should have told you up front that we may go into a coughing fit up here in the middle of this. I brought back some of the lovely pollen and stuff from London. And uh, we just never know. I'm prepared down here with cough syrup and water and Kleenex. And so I apologize up front if I have to do some of these uh, physical things while we're in the middle of this. Righteousness as a relationship means being right with God. Being right with God. Righteous, righteousness means having a right relationship with God. A good relationship. A solid relationship with God. Look at Romans 1.17. The good news shows how God makes people right with Himself. The good news. That's the same word as gospel. Gospel is simply the Old English word for good news. That's all it means. Gospel means good news. And notice, God makes you right with Himself. You don't make yourself right with God. This is something that God does for you. In just a minute, we're going to look at the gospel in detail. But notice, the good news is something that God does for you. He makes you right with himself. So it's a relationship. Secondly, we need to know about righteousness as a lifestyle. Righteousness means living right as God intended for you to live. <coughs> so it's a position. That's being right. And it's a practice. That's living right. John, 1 John 2, 29 from the message says, All who practice righteousness are God's true children. So righteousness... It's about a relationship and a lifestyle. It's about being right with God. It's about living as God intends. It's about my position before God. And it's about my practice as a child of God. But why should I care? Why should you care? Why would it make any difference at all? Particularly when you look at the people around you and none of your friends seem to care about being right with God. The people who live next door to you, they don't care much about living right with God. The people at work don't seem to care. Most of the world doesn't care. They don't care at all about being right with God. So why should it matter to you? There's two reasons. First of all, it's the only way to live. And secondly, it's the only way to heaven. That's why righteousness is important. Some of you might remember a fella. I'll call him Mr. Midlife Crisis. In the Bible, he's called King Solomon. Mr. Money, Sex, and Power. He had everything to fill the emptiness in his life. Everything that you can imagine. And you know what? Nothing worked for him. Do you know what his last words were? He recorded them in the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 he said everything you were taught can be put into a few words respect and obey God this is what life is all about took him his whole life but he learned respect and obey God that's what it's all about when we say is there more to life than this yes there is That's what it's about. You could say that Solomon spent most of his life climbing up the ladder of success only to discover that the ladder that he was climbing was leaning against the wrong wall. He wasted his life. But Solomon learned his lesson and he wrote down his lessons in a book that we call Proverbs. Proverbs. And Proverbs chapter 12 says this. Solomon wrote it. Righteousness is the road to life and the path to immortality. The road to life. Righteousness. What does that mean? It means that people who are disconnected from God are not really living. They're just existing. And that's why they are never satisfied with anything. You know those people. They're all around you. Saint Augustine said, God, you have made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. <clears throat> you see, we were made by God and we were made for God until we understand that basic fact. Your life and my life are not going to make a lot of sense. We're just going to be kind of floundering around. Righteousness is the road to life and it's also the path to immortality. <clears throat> In other words, righteousness is the way that you get into heaven. And here's the point. God's not going to force us to go to heaven. It's a choice. It's a choice. We can spend our entire lives connected to God, or we can spend our entire lives disconnected from God. We can live out our lives in perpetual discontent, never satisfied with anything, but trying to fill it with everything that we can possibly fill it with. Or we can hunger and thirst for righteousness. We can be made right with God, and we can live right with God. So what is God's plan? What's his plan for you and for me? How do we choose to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, I am so happy you asked me that. There's two parts to it. The first part is what God does, and the second part is what I do. So let's look at them. I put this in your outline as the good news, (coughs) God's plan to make me right with himself. And the first part of this is, I can't make myself righteous. I cannot make myself righteous. Ecclesiastes 7, of course, this is Solomon writing here, makes this simple observation. There's not a righteous man on earth who always does what is right and never sins. Not a single righteous man on the face of this earth. Whoa, 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 whoa. I I thought I was supposed to be righteous in order to go to heaven, but I can't be? What's that all about? Well, Solomon is just getting real with us here. He's getting real with you and me. We are all imperfect people, and we're all living in an imperfect world. That's not a debatable point either. Just turn on your TV set for about five minutes, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. God has set a high bar for righteousness, a goal standard, if you will. In fact, his standard is perfection perfection. God is a perfect person and heaven is a perfect place. So if God let imperfect people into heaven, heaven would be no better than earth. And if he let us come into heaven with our sin and our faults and our weaknesses, then you know what? There'd be rape in heaven. There'd be murder in heaven. There'd be gossip, injustice, prejudice in heaven. There would be evil There would be worry and stress. Heaven would be no better than this earth that we live on. Imperfect people like you and me, we would poison heaven. Romans 3.20 says it this way. No one can ever be made right in God's sight by doing what His law commands. Because the more we know God's law the clearer it becomes that we cannot keep it. The more you know this book, the more it becomes uh, absolutely clear to you that we can't live up to the standards of this book. We can't. That's what the temple and sacrifice was all about in the Old Testament. The more we know God's law, the clearer it becomes we can't keep it. That Romans verse was written by Paul. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who, a guy who spent most of his life studying God's law and trying to live by it. And in the end, he came up empty. He couldn't do it. He realized he could not do it. The only people who think they can keep God's law are those people that don't know God's law because God's laws are perfection and none of us, none of you, Even your wife, even your mother, is not perfect. No matter how hard you try, you can't attain perfection by anything you do. It's just not going to happen. Nobody can make himself right with God. I can't make myself righteous. God has got to do it. The second thing is, Jesus, uh, God sent Jesus to pay for my sins. God sent Jesus to pay for my sins. <clears throat> Why did he do that? So I could get right with God. So I could restore that relationship. So that I could get into heaven on Jesus' ticket. Because I don't have a ticket myself. It's not that I'm any better. It's just that Jesus paid for my sins. Jesus paid for your sins. When you break God's law, you have to pay God's penalty. And the Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. Death. That means somebody has to pay for all the things I've done in my life that have hurt other people. Somebody's got to pay for... All those things I've done that have hurt myself, me, myself. And somebody's got to pay for all those things that I've done that have hurt God. Somebody has to pay for them. Romans 3.23 tells us this. For all have sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet now God in his gracious kindness declares us not guilty. He has done this through Christ Jesus, who has freed us by taking away our sins. For God sent Jesus to take the punishment for our sins and to satisfy God's anger against us. We are made right with God when we believe that Jesus shed his blood, sacrificing his life for us. Let me say it as simply as I possibly can say it. Jesus died so that you can live. That's it. Jesus died so that you can live. That's what makes Christianity different from any other worldview, any other philosophy, any other religion. You see, every other religion can be summed up in one word, and that word is do. Do. You've got to do this... You've got to do that. You've got to do the other thing in order to please God. And there's a perpetual cloud of guilt hanging over you. Because you never can do enough. I was having a conversation with one of my Palestinian friends in, in Israel once. And we were talking about this very thing of of works, righteousness it's called, where you have to do things. And of course the Muslim faith believes that you have to do. And I asked him, well, what, how much do you have to do? And he says, we don't know. You just n- never know. We just hope that we've done enough so when we die, the scales are balanced in, in our behalf, not in uh, somebody else's behalf. We're going to heaven instead of going to hell. But we never know. So we have to keep doing. Christianity is different. Christianity can be summed up in the word done. It was done for you 2,000 years ago on a cross by Jesus Christ. It is finished. The work is finished. It has all been done for you. Jesus died so that you can live. It's that simple. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That's righteousness. No one can make himself right with God. That's why God sent Jesus to pay for all of our sins. It's a done deal. Jesus died so that I can live. And then there's a third part to the gospel. All I do is accept by faith what God did for me. All I do is accept by faith what God did for me. And that's all I have to do. That's all that I'm required to do. All I do is accept God's grace and mercy. I accept God's forgiveness. I believe in my heart that Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins. <clears throat> Jesus died so that you can live. Accept it. That's righteousness. Romans 3.22 puts it this way. We are made right in God's sight when we trust in Jesus Christ to take away our sins. <clears throat> and we all can be saved in this same way no matter who you are or what you have done. I can't tell you how many times I've been sitting counseling with someone and they say, but if you knew what I have done, you would know that God couldn't forgive me. I don't know who they're kidding. I mean, God knows exactly what they've done, even before they did it. There's nothing you can do that's going to make any difference to him. It doesn't make any difference what religious background you come from. It doesn't make any difference if you don't have any religion at all. Only God's grace can get you into heaven. We can't do anything. The only thing that matters is a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 10, 9 through 10 verse that's written on the floor over here as we came into this building. It's over on on there and it's been sealed over. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead sing the songs like he's been raised from the dead you'll be saved many of you sitting here today have already settled that issue it's a done deal for you but some of you some of you maybe have not And I don't want to continue what we're doing today without giving you the opportunity to settle that once and for all. You see, we believe at Renovation Church that once you are made right, once you are saved, once you have come into relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, it's a done deal. You don't have to do it over and over and over again. It can't be taken away. I want you to know today without a doubt that you're right with God. And I want you to know today without a doubt that you're going to heaven. If you haven't done so already, this is a chance that you can take, a choice that you can take today. It's not a chance, it's a choice. And it's simple enough to do. It's it's so simple, I think, sometimes that people miss it. It's going to change your life forever. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to do what Romans 10 says to do. Confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you know what? You will be saved. That's the promise. It will satisfy your longing that longing in your soul. It will fill that place of emptiness in your life, and it will give you new meaning and purpose for everything that you do in your life. So I want you bow your heads and close, close your eyes. Everyone here. And you know what? We do this a lot of different ways, but today I think I'll let you, everybody, repeat a phrase after me as we go through Everybody Everybody's saying the same thing. God, I'm sorry for all the things I've done in my life. Things that have hurt you. Things that have hurt others. Things that have hurt me. I realize that I am far from perfect. And there's nothing that I can do to make myself right with you. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the penalty for my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for dying so that I can live. I confess you, Jesus... As my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for purchasing a place for me in heaven. I believe in my heart that you died for me, and one day I will be with you in heaven. Please come, Holy Spirit. Fill me and help me to get to know you better. Give me a hunger and a thirst for being right with you the rest of my life. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Please help me. In Jesus' name. Amen. While your heads are still bowed and your eyes are closed, if there is anyone here that prayed that prayer with meaning today for the first time, just kind of stick up your hand so I can see it. Nobody else needs to see it but me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. This is the day... You can, you can open your eyes again. This is the day that will change your life forever. I promise. Not just me. This book promises. Doctors say that the loss of appetite is a symptom that you're sick. And you know that to be true. When you're sick, when you're ill, when you don't feel well, the last thing you think about doing is eating. You've got a fever, your stomach's upset. A loss of appetite indicates that something, something's not right in your life. And the same is true spiritually as it is physically. If you don't have a hunger to know God, if you're not thirsty to know God, then you're sick. <clears throat> spiritually sick. So for the rest of our time, I want to look at how can I stay spiritually hungry? How can I maintain that hunger for God for the rest of my life? What can I do to increase my appetite for God so that tomorrow I want to know him better than today? And next week, I want to be closer to him than I have ever been before. Even now, how do I stay hungry for God? Five things that we'll go through real quickly. Five things to keep me hungry for God. <clears throat> the first is remind myself how much God loves me. Remind myself how much God loves me. Build it into your morning routine, make it a daily habit. Remember how much God loves you because the more you understand how much God loves you, the more you're going to love Him. If you only understood. Sometimes we don't feel very close to God. We all have those good days and we all have those bad days. And sometimes we've forgotten how much God really does love us. Sometimes we forgot how much Jesus loves us. Because once we begin to understand and experience the love of God, you know what, we can't get enough of him. We have to have more (coughs) and more. Ephesians 3.18 says this, Pray that you have the power to understand how wide, how long, how high, how deep God's love really is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is so great you will never fully understand it. Sorry. Then you will be filled with the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Remind yourself every day just how much God loves you. Build it into your morning routine. Ask God for understanding. Pray for the fullness of life and pray for the power that comes from Him. What a great way to start each day. It's like... like Walking into a bakery and smelling the bread that has baked. You know that smell? You just can't wait to get a taste of it. And then the next day, you do the whole thing over again. And the next day, again. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. And you will be filled. First, you've got to know how much God loves you. Remind yourself, God, help me to feel how much You love me. Secondly, stop filling up on junk food. We're talking spiritually here now. Stop filling up on... Well, probably we're talking physically too, right, Mark? Stop filling up on junk food. You are a spiritual being with a God-shaped hole in your heart. And only God can fill that hole. Only God can satisfy your spiritual hunger. You can't fill it with money or sex or power. You can't fill it with a new boat or a car. won't do the trick. You can't fill it with a new job, a new wife, a new husband. That won't work. Having a baby won't fill it either. And neither will drugs nor alcohol. The only thing that can fill that hole in your heart is God. Everything else is kind of like junk food. High on calories and low on. On nutritional value. Proverbs 15 14 says this A wise man is hungry for truth while the fool feeds on trash. You eating any trash in your life right now? Not just unwholesome stuff. You eating trash? Maybe you need to take some trash out of your life. If I spend all my free time thinking about something else instead of God, then God's going to get not my best time, but my leftover time, if any at all. If I'm always thinking about my sport or my team, I don't have any hunger for God. If I'm always thinking about politics, I don't have any hunger for God. If I'm always thinking about work or making money, I don't have any hunger for God. Why? Because I'm feeding on all those other things. I'm filling my mind up with junk. Have you ever gone out to eat with your kids at a restaurant? I'm sure you have. You're probably going after the service today. You sit down, you look at the menu, and being the good parent, you help your kids to order nutritional food just like Michelle would want you to do. And then you wait for your meal to arrive. But then the server brings bread and butter or tortilla chips or peanuts. And what are the first words out of your mouth? Don't fill up on that stuff. Because you won't be able to eat when the meal comes, right? How many times have we said that? And if you do fill up on the chips and peanuts... An hour later, what do the kids say? Mom, I'm hungry. You get the point? If you fill up on junk food, you won't be hungry for the real meal. Isaiah 55 says this The Lord says, All you who are thirsty, come to me and drink. And to those of you who don't have money to buy food, come and eat for free. Why do you spend your money on something that isn't real food and doesn't really satisfy you? Come to me and you'll eat what is good. Your soul will enjoy the stuff that really satisfies. I want to ask you right now, what are you hungry for? What are you hungry for? If you're just hungry to play golf, which I doubt on a day like today, this looked pretty good when I was writing it earlier, or make another sale or go party with your friends, if that's what you're hungry for, then you know what? You're spiritually anorexic. You're starving yourself to death. Hunger and thirst after God and your soul will enjoy the stuff that really satisfies. So I maintain my hunger for God by reminding myself of God's love for me, by getting rid of the spiritual junk food in my life. And number three, I make knowing God my number one goal. I make knowing God my number one goal. The Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. In other words, David had a passion, a hunger for God. He was passionate In his desire to know God more and more and more. The book of Psalms is called the Bible's prayer book. To a large extent because of David. David wrote more than half of the Psalms, you see. Why? Why did he do that? To express his love for God. To express his desire to know God more and more and more. To express his hunger and thirst for God. Psalm 63, David wrote this while living out in the wilderness. He said, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I will seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. He wrote this in the desert of Judah, in the Judean wilderness, in the Judean desert. And some of you sitting here today are going through a desert right now. You're in a desert in your marriage. It's all dried up. You're in a desert at work. That's all dried up. You're in a desert in some relationship you have with someone else. You're in a desert financially. What do you do when you find yourself in a desert? You hunger and thirst for God. Why? Because only He can fill you. Matthew six thirty three says, The thing you should want most is God's kingdom and doing what God wants. Then all these other things you need will be given to you. This is how you maintain a spiritual uh, hunger. You make knowing God your number one goal in life. Not, not success. Success is not it. Not happiness. Happiness is fleeting. You seek God first, and then everything else, everything else will be a byproduct. Remind yourself how much God loves you. Stop filling up on spiritual junk food. Make knowing God the number one goal in your life. Number four, get into God's Word every day. Get into God's Word every day. 1 Peter 2 says, You must crave the pure spiritual milk of the Word so that you can grow into the fullness of your salvation. Cry out for this nourishment like a baby cries for milk. The Bible calls itself bread. The Word of God is milk. The Word of God is meat. The Word of God is honey. The Bible uses all these metaphors to make a point. We can't live without feeding on God's Word. Matthew 4 4 says, read it on the screen. (laughs) Man cannot. Oh, man, thank you. Man, you know what I'm hungering and thirsting for. Sorry, men cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Why is that important? Because Second Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that we're prepared to do what God has called us to do or will call you to do. You want to be ready. You've got to feed on his word. How do you get right with God? How do you live as God intends? By getting into his book. And notice I use the verb getting into the book every day. I didn't say read his book every day. Some of you don't like to read. Right, Jay? And that's fine. You can listen to it. There's other avenues. You can listen to it on uh, MP3 or, or a, a CD that you can stick into your uh, car player. Any number of ways today. If you want to know Jesus better, then you could start with the book of John. That'll help you to know Jesus better. If you want to learn how to talk to God, go to David's book, the the Psalms. If you want to have some practical help on challenges in your life, perhaps you start with the book of Proverbs. Eating a meal once a week won't keep you healthy. You know that. And coming to church once a week won't keep you spiritually healthy either. You need to feed on God's truth every day of your life. Remind yourself how much God loves you. Stop filling up on spiritual junk food and make knowing God the number one goal. Get into God's word every day. And finally, join a connect group for support. Proverbs 2:20 says, "Join the company of good men and women who will keep you on the path of the righteous." For example, if you get a bunch of kids together and one kid says, "I'm hungry." What do all the other kids say? "I'm hungry too." You know how that goes? Some adults do that, too. If I say to you, I'm hungry for a cinnamon roll. Some of you just got hungry for a cinnamon roll as well. You see, appetite is influenced by association. Appetite is influenced by... By association, So if you want to keep a spiritual appetite for God for the rest of your life, join a connect group for support. Because whoever you hang out with will influence what you're going to be hungry for. You got that? Whoever you hang out with will influence what you're going to be hungry for. If you hang out with people who only care about politics, then that's all you're going to care about. Hang out with people who only care about sports, That's what you're going to care about. Hang out with people who only care about partying, and that's what you're going to care about. But if you hang out with people who are hungry to know God, then that's what you're going to care about. You need to get into a connect group. And today over at the information counter, we have two sheets. One is a sheet for you to sign up if you would be interested in hosting a connect group. This will happen in late summer. Hosting a connect group, if you to open up your house and let people meet in your house, you don't have to do really anything else. I'm thinking it could be potluck and people can bring the food. You don't have to prepare the food. Just offer your house as a place for them to meet. The second sign-up is, yeah, I'm interested myself in doing a connect group. If you're interested in a connect group, sign that second sheet. There's two pages. If we run out of space there, you can... You can do it on the back of one of those pages. Sign up for a connect group. Appetite is influenced by association. You got your key? Fourth key, fourth key. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. And you know what? You will be filled.